0: Hello, and welcome to Race to Finish, the podcast where we cover early Big Finish. I'm Carrick. And I'm David. Today we are discussing The Land of the Dead, by Stephen Cole, directed by Gary Russell, sign design, music, and post-production by Nicholas Briggs, recorded and edited by Alastair Locke. Whew, this is going to be a messy one. <laughs> yes,
1: um, it's a fifth Doctor story, first one with Nyssa, um, and yeah, there's going to be some stuff we're going to have to get into.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, this is going to be the first of these episodes where we open with a content warning.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, we're both white guys. Uh, this story concerns... Uh, Native Americans in Alaska. Uh, I don't you you did a little research, and it seems like they don't consider themselves Inuit. So I guess we'll say Native American. Well, I
0: couldn't find I couldn't find any evidence that they don't, but more more importantly, I couldn't find any evidence that they do. I, I know Inuit's a broad term, but the connections seem to be cultural and linguistic. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, there is no linguistic connection, and their culture and the Koyukon culture is pretty distinctive. Like they're not a big tribe, they've got about 2,000 members, so there isn't a huge amount written about them. From what I can glean, this audio gets some stuff right, but also gets a fair bit, I don't know. I
1: will say that, from what I remember, because last quarter I did take a People of the Arctic class, I think that in general parlance, at least within, like, Canada, it's considered acceptable to call just Native American people of the Arctic Inuit, but I don't know for sure. I am... A white California boy. I don't know. But that was the impression I got, just because it's a it's a useful term and it's the one we got. Even though there is like a there is a group called the Inuit and they have like interconnected other it's a whole complicated thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, but either way, a word that you should definitely not be using is one that begins with E and ends with O, that I am not going to say because it's generally considered a slur which I don't know how widely known this was in 1999 or 2000, whenever this was written, because, uh, it's there, not in the script, thank Christ, but it is in the author's notes, in which Stephen Cole laments him on the difficulty of having to cast a middle-aged, and then we use that word, but then goes on to praise the actor for being well up to it, which I think is bold because it is honestly one of the worst performances I've ever heard, but uh, more on that later. It's,
1: it's a very jarring performance. We'll get into
0: it later. Anyway, so before we get into all that unpleasantness, let's talk a bit background about the writer Stephen Cole, because Stephen Cole was actually the most important person at Big Finish, kind of, sort of, at this time. He had been instrumental in them securing the license from the BBC because he was, well head of merchandising for Doctor Who at this point. This basically meant he was the closest thing Doctor Who had to a showrunner, because this was when it was off-air. And the idea was he wanted it to be tied into other things like the ongoing books, although that's kind of hilarious, given that they don't really tie in at all. And uh, he's credited on these early audios as an executive producer for the BBC, basically... He was the one who had to help approve all of the scripts and everything. Now, I'm making him sound pretty powerful, which he was on paper, but in practice he didn't actually exercise this power all that much because, I've mentioned this, the expanded universe had a pretty relaxed approach towards editing and oversight... Stephen Cole was instrumental in securing, helping Big Finish secure the license to make original audios, because the BBC had dabbled in Doctor Who audios with things like the Pescatons, Ghosts of In Space, Paradise of Death, and the one that I've listened to, which is so awful, I I kind of love it, Slipback. But at this point, their budget wouldn't allow for that, which... Stephen Cole pointed out to the higher-ups, so I was like, we don't have the budget to make original... budget or experience to make original audio drama. These guys do, so... let's make an exception for the pulling licensees in the thing that we're all doing and give them one. Yeah, and also he becomes executive producer in the process. Now, as to how that relates to the story itself, well... Uh, there's this little episode called the Fearmonger, which comes after this, uh, which is great, but it also was a nightmare to write by all accounts, due to poor Jonathan Bloom having something of a nervous breakdown, and as a result, there was a gap in the schedules, and you can kind of tell because you can see that the original plan was to do a fifth Doctor story with Phantasmagoria, then sixth Doctor, whispers of Terrier, then a seventh Doctor, but due to the Fearmonger being delayed, uh. This thing had to be written in a week. A week. Now, bearing in mind that this was hastily written in a week to plug a gap in the schedule, you'd think that there wouldn't be much to talk about here, but oh no, this thing had to go and try and make itself about race.
1: Yeah, there's some... We're gonna need to get into this as best we can. Uh, I did not know this was only written in a week. I will say, with that in mind, it's better than you'd think if all you knew was that. It's still not particularly good, but it's better than you'd think.
0: And oh, not only was the story written in a week... um the notes also claim that the story was inspired by a combination of the myth of Sedna and some research Stephen Cole had been doing on dinosaur books for the BBC for something unrelated to Doctor Who. Huh. And oh, you want to know, you want to know how the dinosaurs are going to tie in? We'll get to that. It is both funny and a little bit boring. Now, let's talk sp- our spoiler-free opinions of this. Yes.
1: Uh, I may as well go first, I suppose. Um if I were to try and put aside the very iffy race stuff because it is very iffy, but it's also about what you'd expect from the 90s, which does not excuse it, to be clear. But if but with that in mind, it's a last uh last episode. One thing I mentioned was that one thing that I particularly found uh disinteresting when it comes to Doctor Who is when a story will just be a runaround with a bunch of monsters and that's essentially what this is
0: I think it was going for a haunted house story
1: yes there's there's certainly like a there's a in the first episode there's a bit of like an American gothic vibe with like this oil mogul or whatever he is like building this giant house on like native american land and all this other stuff which is very american gothic and then like creatures from the native americans mythology come to haunt him and all that but then it's kind of sort of, ditched. of. Yeah, sort of. I, i'm i'm talking the broadest possible way because it's not really what happens but there's a vibe to that and then it's kind of ditched after the first episode really
0: yeah it's like, the setup of this is actually pretty good. It's the Doctor and Nessa see a plane running away from an explosion, and then they leap forward 20 years, and they end up stumbling across monsters out on the Alaskan tundra. Then they come across this house being built by this eccentric rich guy, and there's this very catty interior designer. Who is the best character in this? I love her. <laughs> She's the like, best. <laughs> there's the, uh, there's Tulung, the, uh... Mixed race assistant, sort of. Actually, I'm not, I'm not really sure what his job is because Gabbard's the PA. It's he's just this guy who this rich guy Brett seems to have around because they have this weird childhood rivalry.
1: Yeah, th- so I think that it's explained in episode one that uh, Too Long was taken in by his father and or something to that effect. It's very loose.
0: Well, it's like, again, too long is mixed race, and everyone in this talks about it in such a weird way. <laughs> but, ignoring that, the impression seems to be his father was white American, his mother was Koyokon, And I apologize if I'm mangling the pronunciation. Literally, the only pronunciation guide I have to go off here is this very audio, which I don't consider very yes, reliable.
1: I-, I don't think something written by a bunch of, not just white people, but white British people is going to be a particularly good guy when it comes to indigenous people of North America.
0: <laughs> yeah. Honestly, Tulung himself, aside from some truly bizarre dialogue choices, isn't that bad of a character in writing and performance? No, no, the, I think the thing place where things get pretty offensive is with Gabarik, the PA. Oh, yeah.
1: Gabarik, the actor is it's not a good performance he's just been he's clearly just been directed to give like a generic what people think native american sound like accent as if that's like a singular thing and it's done so so you got this british person i'm assuming doing not just an american accent but an american accent with like an accent on top of it if that makes sense yeah and it's it's bad. It's just bad. It is
0: I in my notes I describe it as stilted noble savage. Which oh
1: god, that's a perfect I feel
0: like this is what would have happened if the casting for Lila had been someone worse than Louise Jameson. Which should tell you <laughs> everything you need to know about where this is going.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's so bad. And there's like he's also like portrayed as being extremely superstitious.
0: Yeah, like, he even has this line, it is bad, I sense it, when they're starting to come under attack by skeleton dinosaurs. Uh, Minor spoiler there, I guess, who cares? Which I think is the worst line in the entire audio. I think we could, yeah, we could talk about this character all day. Uh, He dies halfway through, which is like, oh yeah, the only completely non-white character in this dies halfway through, which ordinarily I would think is kind of iffy, and I guess it also kind of is, but also the writing performance was so bad, it's actually kind of a mercy.
1: Yeah. I mean, he only really exists to set up a little bit of the story arc for too long, if we're being honest here. Yeah. It's his one purpose, and then once that's set up, he's he's disposable. It's still pretty shitty, though. Like Performance aside, to have your one not-purely-white character be...
0: Knocked off. Absolutely. I mean, two lungs survives. Like... Weirdly.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, we'll have to get into Two Lungs' storyline as you know, well. I'm I don't think. think
0: we should shorten this section because I feel like being, kneecapped kept talking about spoilers. It's kind of not going anywhere. So Yeah,
1: we're kind of dancing around the issues, I feel Yeah,
0: so, so I'm just going to summarize my opinion on the story with... It's not very good. It has some uncomfortable Ray stuff. It's... You can tell that it was written hastily. It does a poor job of building tension. The only somewhat entertaining character in this is Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> uh, Nissa is pretty well written. I mean, she... Does a lot of talking, sadly, and at one point comes under psychic attack. So that is very faithful to how she's portrayed on screen, but she gets more to do than usual, so that's a relief.
1: Yes. Uh, overall, yeah. More or less the same. It's a pretty forgettable runaround with some pretty boring monsters. I mean, this is pretty great. Like Considering this was Sarah Sutton's return to the role, it's a really strong comeback. But Also, I just want to point out that you called her Monica Lewinsky. Her name is Monica Lewis.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. It's... It's fairly early for me, and I just woke up in a world where Donald Trump is no longer president, so you know, my mind is a little <laughs> addled.
1: I just felt the need to correct you.
0: <laughs> Although apparently apparently Peter Davison was actually making jokes about her possibly being Monica Lewinsky in, the, in Alaska incognito. Well, I don't know why she's English then, but I guess that's kind of funny in a tasteless way. I guess. Anyway, let's... Go into spoilers, so we're going to talk theme a little bit. The theme of the story, I thought it was going for colonialism, because there's these early bits where the Fifth Doctor's talking about how the Native Americans in Alaska lived off the land for thousands of years, but Tegan's people, aka white people, were only ever really interested in it for commercial reasons, among others, so... Again, you think it's setting up colonialism, and the fact that the Brett family in this were made all their money off Alaskan oil, it kind of suggests that we're, that's where they're going, but the actual dialogue spells out a different theme. The Doctor talks about the age-old battle between tradition and progress, and Brett, he's all, here I unite them, in his house where he's hoarding vast chunks of the natural landscape. <sighs> Which is such a colonizer approach to doing that. Again, I thought... At this point, I was still thinking, okay, is the theme here colonization? But no, no, it is very specifically about the battle between tradition and progress, which is bad, because when that's your theme in the dialogue, you need to kind of have to address that in the narrative at some level. And Nissa talks about... Nissa talks about how her people were able to unite the two, and too Long he feels conflicted because mixed race means he feels the pull. Britfoot's like, you feel the pull of both bloods inside you. It's like, again, it's the way they talk about him being mixed race is incredibly weird. It's just, who talks like this? I, yes. I'm not even sure it's racist. It's just incredibly bizarre.
1: The fact that it's it's very unfortunate that they just kind of, place this theme on top of too long as a character because it just creates this really strange presentation of like what being mixed race and what being part white, part native American would actually be like. I can't really speak to what it'd be like, but I feel like most mixed race people's experiences isn't, I feel drawn, I feel conflicted between science and the book beliefs of my people.
0: Yeah. It's especially weird because at the ending, um long, like thank you Nyssa. i have now learned how to embrace both tradition and progress like the two bloods that are mixed within my veins it's like okay so we get a final scene off in an with an incredibly weird line and but here's the thing the resolution of the story has nothing to do with uniting tradition and progress the resolution of the story is skeleton dinosaurs go boom boom
1: that's it i do think that there's an attempt at this a very weak attempt where it's established that the at mo- uh, the creatures the monsters can't move if they're if they're stepping on or they're coated in something that's been like heavily processed like processed materials that they have to be on natural land and natural materials which is sort of that but it's not really
0: <laughs> yeah and but also that doesn't last long and what ends up killing them is just explosions
1: yeah and it also just doesn't reflect in the story itself it's just something they keep talking about and it's not even explored particularly well it's just a thing they keep saying over and over
0: yeah and it's like the doctor points out that the resolution with the permians they're the skeleton dinosaurs the doctor has this whole thing where he says they're not dinosaurs they predate the dinosaurs but i'm just going to call them skeleton dinosaurs because that's basically what they are (laughs) um the Doctor has something was like, of course, fire, a force so ancient and primal and powerful that even they can't consume it. Because, yeah, the Permians are these creatures that got so good at eating other things that they ate even their own flesh. And so they're living skeletons that absorb the traits of other species. And the Doctor reckons they might have caused the Permian mass extinction event, which... Okay. I mean, it is at least somewhat novel to have the monsters be creatures from Earth's past rather than, like, a crashed spaceship or something, but uh Yeah.
1: what there does this have to do with anything?
0: Yeah, because the idea of them being consumed by a primal force, like an ancient primal terror like this, going by the way of another one, that is kind of cool. It just has nothing to do with what they set up.
1: Yeah, again
0: because like if you're going to be this in your face about theme you need to actually do something with it and it's especially bizarre because it doesn't feel like it even needed to be there i said colonialism would have been a good thing good enough theme and there's plenty of material for that in this and hell if you wanted an arc for too long there is an arc for him again separate from all this like nonsense it's he has a strange relationship with Brett because he's known him for literally years, but he also kind of hates him, but he also can't leave him either because he's kind of the only one giving him a job. And when he finds out the true depths that Brett sunk to in his, like, obsessive preservation of his dad's legacy and stuff, that's when he just, like, decides no and cuts himself off from him completely. And And then he blows himself up, so that's helpful, but... Again, there is an arc there. You didn't need to add this very dumb theme, resulting in a very weird last bit of dialogue.
1: Yeah, it's it's unfortunate too because this is the this has been the first story which I'd say has had more of a human character theme, like arc to it than some of the others. I mean, there's kind of one in the in Whispers of Terror, but this is, feels a little more down to earth. And it feels it's like it's botched. trying harder. Yes, for sure, it's certainly trying harder, but it's. It's botched on so many levels. It's a frustrating release. Like the, I kind of forgot what happened in it. And now that we're talking about it, I'm just getting annoyed with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think, is there anything else really to touch on?
0: I mean, we could talk about the stuff we like.
1: I suppose so. I did mention uh, Sarah Sutton's performance as Nyssa. Sarah Sutton's performance on TV is really interesting in that if you do actually watch each serial in order you will start to see like there's a lot of nuance to the character and she's doing a lot with the part even though she's not being given much material or direction. If you watch them just if you watch like one without the context of the others you do kind of lose that which is why I think for a while she had quite a poor reputation in the fandom but Sarah Sutton's amazing and now that she's with Big Finish starting with the story uh, she's Allowed, she's given more time to develop a performance and she's given more direction, better dialogue, and it's its honestly really something. Like, I really appreciate it, and there's some really nice moments with her character as well. So, that's the best thing in this besides Monica Lewis. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, the, Nyssa, yeah uh, I mentioned that Toolong's not an unsalvageable character. That is mainly because of his scenes with Nyssa.
1: Yeah, well,
0: but, the early anyway, scenes let- with Nyssa. <laughs> Monica Lewis, who I think is pretty... She's the comic relief, pretty much. She's the interior designer who's helping Brett do all this. And there's actually a beat I really like where she says, I know it's a shame, all this carving up of the environment, but the artistic freedom he's given me, it is isn't a kind of amazing bit because she denies her own complicity in what's going on. And I think, I think if this had been stronger with its themes, again, I think colonialism is a good one. It's She's not, like, an active agent in this, per se, but she is very much complicit in what Brit is doing. Which is... And... So, yeah, the moment where she, like, kind of denies her responsibility and all of it, it is a good beat for showing her nastier side and basically the inaction of white people in the face of colonialism... When they're not the ones doing the colonizing. I mean, although at the same time, yeah, at the same time, though, she also escapes the consequences because she was the only one not to eat any meat. Yeah, she's saved by being a vegetarian because the meat is infected by the skeleton dinosaur energy. And this energy has also been, like, turning the local wildlife into David Cronenberg monsters. I think it's meant to be a reference to, like, the myth of Sedna, because, well, the myth of Sedna is mentioned both in the author's notes and in the actual script. There's a lot of versions, but basically Sedna gets taken out to sea by her dad, thrown overboard, she holds on, her fingers get cut off and they become sea life, and she sinks down and becomes ruler of Adlevum the land of the dead. Now, here's the thing, that is an Inuit myth, and the indigenous peoples in this story are the Koyakun, who, as I've mentioned, I I couldn't find any evidence that they consider themselves Inuit, and I could also find an interesting document on environmental identity in the face oh. of climate change, which noted that they don't actually believe in separate realms they view the supernatural and the natural world as being the same thing, and that's the source of a lot of their culture. And it, this is kind of mentioned in the script itself. It's the Koyakum do not believe that heaven is far away in the sky. It is here, and the spirits of the dread, dead drift forever on the wind. its I mean, I don't know if that's exactly how it goes, but the idea of there not being separate supernatural realms is a thing from what I can tell. But then it also squares that with the myth of Sedna, which kind of does rely on the belief in other realms. So it's like, Stephen, I can tell you did some research for this, but you also seem to be playing pretty fast and loose with indigenous beliefs in the Arctic circle.
1: It's unfortunate. And I mean, I will say that, well, I can't speak for any of the the groups you've mentioned i do know that a lot of indigenous groups will oftentimes have a view of of like the spiritual world quote-unquote as less of like a separate thing and more like with a sense of like animism where like everything is kind of like imbued with power as it were but again that doesn't really crop up and if that is what's being talked about it's not it's not being talked about very well at all
0: i mean it sort of crops up the Tulung points out its animals deserve respect for giving themselves up to the hunter. Again, I did look it up. This is actually—it seems to be a pretty accurate summary of how the Khoikhoi view hunting. The animal is not is not prey; it is willingly giving itself up, and that is why it deserves respect. And it is, and yeah, you contrast that with Brett, who is putting up displays of bone in one of his rooms and suggests doing the same with the remains of dinner. It's, uh, I, again, it could be good if it was written by someone who actually had a better idea of what they were talking about. But yeah. it's,
1: it's certainly like an issue here where it's just kind of inscribing the same stereotypes about Inuit or Indigenous people just being these overly superstitious individuals, And not really, even though it's paying lip service to making peace with the two worlds, quote unquote, it doesn't really seem to engage with any indigenous or Inuit beliefs outside of them just being mythology that vaguely reflects what's happening in the story. So even the one thing that they do go for, it's not being handled particularly well at all.
0: And again, there is other stuff in there, like Peter Davison mentions the raven as a creator god, and this also gets brought up later by Gabbrook and Long. and... Yeah, the raven is a very significant figure in Koyakon folklore. Mm. So there was just... I have so many notes here, and I, I kind of barely know where to go with them, because... Uh. Again, this kind of... This really probably would have been stronger if they had focused on the colonizer angle. Because Brett is like... He's trying to rewrite history, the actions of his father, while carving up the land and putting it on display. He even calls himself a man of destiny. And I, I don't know if any of you have ever heard the phrase manifest destiny, but, um... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then there's, of course, the scene where Brett reveals he puts... Tulung's dad's bones on display.
1: Which does reflect something that happened multiple times in two Inuit people in the past. There's one particularly egregious uh, example of this where uh, some Inuit people were invited by, I think, Friends Boaz to take part in this... God, this is going to sound so... This is bad. I'm not saying this is good. But they were invited to take part in like this human zoo ex- exhibition in, I think, New York. And then they died, and the people who went, they had a son, and Franz Boas just kind of told the son that they died, and they pretended to give them a burial, and then they took the bones and bleached them and stuck them in a museum. This does reflect something that Westerners have done.
0: There's this kind of big problem in making this comparison. Uh Tulung's dad was white.
1: Oh god, yeah. Just, ugh.
0: Yeah, so I feel like that kind of undermines a lot of what they might have been going for with the dynamic between their two fathers.
1: Yeah, it's... There's a story here, I don't know if it'd be a good one, but there's a story here about colonialism and, like, the ongoing effects and indigenous beliefs, and it's just kind of ditched after episode one, in instead and instead we get some running around with monsters. It goes nowhere.
0: Also, there's the playing fast in use with Koyakon folklore, with Inuit folklore, and they seem, to be treaters, they seem to be treaters about the same thing, even when they directly contradict each other in the actual script. Like, obviously Tulung has the speech about the land of the dead being here, but then Gabbert keeps talking about Ad Levum, which is a realm for the dead, so... <sighs> what?
1: Just, it's mind-numbing to me as someone has done at least a little bit of research into Inuit people into Native Americans and and like my my college major is very much focused on indigenous people it's so like frustrating to see that someone did all this research and then just figured oh well I guess I can just treat all this stuff as a hodgepodge because they're all the same which they're not they're very much not
0: I feel kind of confident that we actually might have together done more research than he did, just for this little podcast on it, than he actually spent writing it. Ugh. Granted, we have Google, which he wouldn't have had, so I guess we had an easier time of it, but even so.
1: Yeah, I suppose. it's If that's yeah. the case, then just don't write a story about Indigenous people. Just don't.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, because I remembered this story as being... Kind of boring, but with some fun moments, most of them from Monica Lewis. You know, you know, little lines like whoever that is, don't let them break that door down to take a week to get another one delivered. Are you trying to conjure me out of my petulant moaning with weak humor?
1: (laughs) I liked Monica like she may be complicit, but she made me laugh.
0: (sighs) Yeah, honestly, I I read a review by one person who hated her because she undermines the tension, and I'm just like, there's no tension to undermine.
1: There's no tension. These things aren't that scary.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't really help that the Doctor's, like, making cups of tea while there's a skeleton dinosaur forcing its way out of the wall in the next room. Yeah, way to get me invested in the stakes. If characters are going to be sitting around calmly making each other tea while the monsters are making themselves known, why should I get bothered by them? It's
1: very odd. There's multiple scenes where, like, where there's a creature in just the other room that's just, and the, and the door's either been locked or it's kind of stuck, and then they're just fine. Like, they're not thinking how to get away from it, they're just chilling in the house as they talk about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this, it is really bad at building tension. So, yeah, Monica might have been annoying in a story where the tension was actually done well, but uh, it is really not here, so she ends up being the most entertaining thing in it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Her and the
0: Doctor just being snarky with each other. Yes, this is okay enough to listen to. It isn't brilliant, but it is consistently okay.
1: Yeah. But I feel like I've listened to other consistently okay Big Finish audios that were a little more interesting, despite the fact they were low quality. <laughs> so...
0: I guess. It's- and to- <laughs> I think... I think one of my least favourite parts of this is when the Doctor starts expositing about what the monsters are. And you really have to pay attention, because even when I first listened to it, when he starts talking about what the Permians is, I'm just like, wait, run, by, run that by me again? So there were these ancient, not dinosaurs, but basically dinosaurs that became walking skeletons and drove. Caused a mass extinction event which even ended up including themselves a little bit and became dormant And now they're being woken up by what Brett's doing You know, that is kind of a cool idea, I guess Like, Brett's disrespect to nature causing in a horrible terror rising out and punishing him for it
1: Right, like I said, it's very American Gothic but it's not explored to the fullest extent it could have been
0: Yeah, no Again, I think this is basically what it is in the author's notes. You've written in your myth you liked, and you're doing a bunch of dinosaur research, and now you're trying to have them both at once, and it does not really work. Yeah,
1: I will say I will give one. I will say one slightly positive thing about one of the scenes where the Fifth Doctor is doing some exposition. I don't remember what they're doing, but it's between him and Nyssa, and they're I think they're working to barricade the door. So there's a lot of sound of them like moving furniture and stuff, and the characters do sound like they're out of breath. Which is again, which is not like amazing audio stuff, but it does give the scene a little more quality. Like it gives it a, little, it makes it a little more interesting to listen to, even though I think, none, despite that, I still just spaced out during it. To be honest.
0: Well, to be fair, I'm pretty sure most of the sound stuff in this was rushed as much as the script was. <laughs> I believe this is Nicholas Briggs' personal least favorite score that he has written. I mean, I i don't recall the music in this so i guess i agree with him maybe i didn't notice it was bad it just i i didn't notice it at all
1: yeah neither did neither can i one other thing i feel like we should probably talk about is how in episode three both too long and brett go kind of go a little bit nuts due to the energy the McGuffin the energy thing. meat. Yeah, th-
0: yeah the contaminated meat that yeah. Monica did not eat so she's the only one who stays sane throughout the whole thing.
1: Yeah. And so they just they start to go nuts and they start to assume that Nissa is a "quote unquote well, I don't know if they use the word guardian spirit but that's essentially what they refer to her as.
0: They use the word tornak which again is an Inuit word and I I, I am still not sure that the koerkun are inuit so yeah.
1: And keep in mind that the term Inuit also, it contains a lot of different groups within itself. Yeah. So even if they are Inuit, that doesn't necessarily mean that they believe this. Um, It just kind of felt like these two characters go crazy and start assuming that she's like a guardian spirit. And it, again, I don't know enough about Native American beliefs or any of them to really say this is nonsense, but it still feels a bit like a stereotype. (laughs) So I'm a teensy bit
0: uncomfortable with it. Yeah. All these are white actors. I mean, I guess we could talk about the tendency in voice acting where characters who are not white are voiced by actors who are, but that goes well beyond Big Finish, so I don't think we should even bother starting that. Final thoughts. uh, I really, really struggle to come up with a way to end this episode, much like the episode... Well, (laughs) much like the episode we're talking about, Struggle to End we get the stuff with the dynamite killing the Permians in episode 4, and it's like, surely that could have been set up better beforehand. And there's also, there's so much in this that goes nowhere, like the attempts at thematic analysis, the David Cronenberg monsters that are just kind of walking around and don't really do much other than scare people a bit at the end of part 1, and then just vanish for the rest of it. So yeah um ultimately the story only has one thing to say and that is skeleton dinosaurs go boom boom
1: <laughs> yeah more or less my final thoughts too it's a pretty boring story we've talked about it that length even and i'm sure even after i edit this it'll be probably like half an hour 40 minutes and yet despite that it's and yet despite that it's it's boring and frustrating
0: and intensely uncomfortable to talk about. It really is. I, I have never been more uncomfortable talking about one of these, and I suspect it's going to be a while before I get to another one of this level. And bear in mind, the next one has fascist politicians in it.
1: Oh yeah, that was interesting to listen to last week, but let's not get into that now.
0: Yeah, next time, the fearmonger. Don't bother listening to Land of the Dead.
1: Yes, just, just forget about this.
0: Yeah, Stephen Cole's next story is the Apocalypse Element. That one's way better.
1: (laughs) It is, yes. Uh, Thank you for listening. Uh, If you want to give us feedback, you can reach us on our Twitter handle, which is at RaceWho. Um, If you want to get in touch with either me or Carrick, my Twitter handle is at Dmanady, at D-M-A-N-A-D-Y. And Carrick's is at Carrick of the Ord. Not going to tell you how to spell that. Sorry.
0: Um, C-A-R-I-C-K-O-F-T-H-E-O-R-D.
1: But he will, apparently. Uh, Yeah, thank you for listening.
0: Bye.